Welcome along to the Football Funders podcast brought to you in association with the Proper Blokes Club walking and talking for men's mental health and Let Us Talk Mental Health, the football team raising money for the charity Mind. Just Ryan tonight because we're talking all things Manchester United. It's come up a lot on the podcast and there's been a Charlton one done with the other guys before so tonight it's just me giving my views on Manchester United as a whole. We're going to start off at the top because this is where the biggest complaint is seems to be these days. The Glazers haven't done well by the club. So let's break it down and let's have a look at it. Let's start off with the way the, the Glazers purchased the club. Nobody likes it. It's legitimate business practice. From a business point of view, if you can buy something by mortgaging it to then buy it, I mean, if it's not actually going to cost you a penny to buy it, then some would argue that that's business genius. But I'm not a fan of how they bought it. I, I don't like it, but they did buy it. So that's one of the bad aspects of the Glazers. The second bad aspect that everyone argues for or about is that they haven't invested in the infrastructure of the club, in terms of the stadium, in terms of the training ground, even though the training ground has been recently sponsored. Yes, there is an argument to support that. Old Trafford is a very, very old stadium. It's not like the modern stadiums now that Tottenham have got, that Chelsea are building, that the Emirates, the Etihad. Manchester United, I suppose, are behind in that regard. However, the Glazers have announced that they are putting money into the stadium. They're going to give it a facelift. As much as I'd love for Manchester United to stay at Old Trafford as it is because of the history that goes with it, I think it's going to be not long before, unfortunately, Old Trafford is going to have to be torn down and rebuilt. I'll be very sad to see it go, but it is what it is. Eventually, everything has a sell-by date, and Old Trafford is no exception, so I will be sad to see it go. However... If it's built, if the new stadium is built where Old Trafford currently is, then that would give us some sort of link in heritage-wise, I suppose. It really would be a shame because I'm quite fond of the older stadiums, like Old Trafford and the San Siro particularly, obviously being a Man United fan and having a love for AC Milan in my youth. I've talked on the podcast a lot about my love for Italian football and it came from watching AC Milan. But we're talking Manchester United. So... The next problem with the Glazers is, in my opinion, they made a poor choice in appointing Edward Wood. Now, just to clarify, Edward Wood has made or had made a lot of money for Manchester United. We're talking a lot of money. And I'm going to get into that a bit more when we go into the positives of the Glazers. Because right now there's a lot of clubs, a lot of fans of clubs remonstrating about who that who owns their club. And Manchester United fans they think they've got it a really raw deal when in actual fact if you look at it it they're not the worst owners in the world shock horror so edward wood the appointment of edward wood fantastic businessman but not a football man now back in the fergie days i don't want to talk too much about the fergie days but i just want to refer to the setup fergie and martin edwards or david gill they were the heartbeat of the club. So Fergie said, I want this for the football-wise. And then David Gill and Martin Edwards went away and said, right, can we make this financially possible to do it? Is it is the club financially 
stable? Are we producing enough money to be able to do this? And they worked as a team and they got it going. The problem was, is I think that because Fergie and David Gill left at exactly the same time, there was nobody of a footballing brain to stand next to Ed Woodward and say, right, we need to do this, we need to do that. Unfortunately, David Moyes didn't have the experience or clout, in my uh, opinion, to stand next to a chief executive officer or whatever his role was at the time and say, right, this is what we need to do, that's what we need to do, especially when everything was pretty much set up in place and then David Moyes comes in and destroys the gaff, like coaching-wise, etc., etc. Anyway, so Edward Ward, not on a good appointment. I understand the director of football role a bit more now, and I understand why clubs use it, because ultimately owners of clubs now aren't fans, they're businessmen. So they need a director of football to oversee the football aspects of things and make the footballing decisions because they're not qualified to do it, basically. So I think the mistake that the Glazers made was not only in appointing Ed Woodward, who didn't have any footballing experience, although he was a fantastic businessman, as I've said, they didn't appoint somebody to take over Ferguson's lead role, not as manager, but as the ethos of the club. So I think that's where the Glazers went wrong as well. And then obviously that trickles down because the Glazers appointed Woodward and Woodward made several bad managerial appointments in my opinion, which I'll get into in a minute. I think that is another Glazer failure. So the Glazers bought the club under bad terms for anybody who finds it, doesn't find it palatable. They haven't invested as we would expect because Manchester United were, are or were, an iconic club, probably, I'd say still are, probably. Um, so we were supposed to have the best of everything. And they didn't keep up with that. And as a result, the club has suffered. Where the Glazers have succeeded. Now, this is going to be a bone of contention for a lot of Manchester United fans. And they aren't going to like what I'm saying, even though it's actually 100% true. First things first. Yes, the Glazers bought the club without their money. But what the Glazers did do, as soon as they came in, and what Ed Woodward did as well, was they maximised our financials as much as they could. So sponsorships went up, new sponsorship markets opened up in the US because we got US owners. So they made Manchester United a lot of money. And you can argue about the Glazers, but Manchester United have remained profitable under the Glazers. Fans claim that the Glazers shouldn't be taking money out of the club, and that's that's nonsense. I'm I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, we as fans see football clubs as something different. We see them as a living organism, as part of us, and we don't see them as businesses. But to chairman up and down the country. It's a business, and at the end of the year, if they're floated on the stock market, if they've got shareholders, every shareholder gets a dividend, depending on how much money's been made and how much profit they've made. That's just the way of life. Any business that's got shareholders pays out dividends. It's just the way it is. Unless there are like lower league clubs that 
uh, shareholders don't take their cut from. I don't know. I've not heard of that. But Manchester United have always been profitable under the Glazers. You cannot argue that. And it's not just a small amount of profit to keep the club ticking over. We're talking increasing revenues year on year. We're still one of the richest clubs in the world. I haven't looked it up, but I think we've got to be in the top five still. I know there are a lot of clubs with a lot of money, but Manchester United luckily have been able over the years to trade on success under Ferguson, essentially, and grow a brand and a product and demand higher and higher fees for sponsorship deals, etc., because of the club's on-field success. The concern would be now there isn't any more success on the field that the sponsorship deals are going to come down. So, the Glazers have brought in a lot of money for Manchester United. What else have the Glazers done well? Well, you can't argue the fact that the Glazers have invested a lot of money in the team. They have not withheld funds to make more money for themselves. If you just look at some of the sign-ins that Louis van Gaal made... Jose Mourinho spent a bit of money. Every manager, David Moyes got a lot of money. I think he paid, what, I think it's about 28 million, 27 million for Maro and Fellaini and probably somewhere in the same region for Juan Mata. Obviously, he was only there for 11 months, but he would have been, he would have got more money if he'd been more successful. Louis van Gaal spent an absolute fortune. I think it must have been about three, four hundred million pounds. I mean, the highlight and the low light, obviously, being Angel Di Maria played. I think it was fifty-seven at the time for him. Big, big money, and then proceeded not to allow him to play his game of football, and he was a dud. But and then you look at the player. Oh, there were so many other players that came in. Marcus Rojo came in for about eighteen million quid or something like that. And obviously, this is just all shooting off the top of my head. I've unfortunately not had time to research every single deal that came in and came out, but I would. So the Glazers have made a lot of money for Manchester United and they've backed their managers with a lot of money. Now you can argue that the Glazers are directly or indirectly responsible for a spate of poor uh, managers. And we're going to look at that in a second, but then again, that comes back to they pointed Edward Ward and Edward Ward made those decisions. So let's look at Edward Ward. Edward Ward, obviously not being a football man, as I said, made a lot of money for Manchester United in commercial revenue. However, his decisions as a chairman, chief executive officer, chief operating officer, whatever title he went under, they've been really bad. I mean, you just start with the very first appointment of David Moyes. It was Ferguson's heir apparent, according to sources, but he'd never done it anywhere significant. He was never big enough for Manchester United. Manchester United grew under Ferguson. They were already a phenomenal club, already a massive, iconic club. You just go back to the Busby Babes, as we've said on the podcast before, and there's just so much history, there's so much heart in the club. It, it goes way and way back. I'm not going to get into the full history of it tonight. Um, excuse me. But 
going back to Edward Rod, so his first appointment wasn't a good one. To be fair, David Moyes, we're going to get into managers in a minute, David Moyes made a lot of mistakes. And then his next one was Louis van Gaal. And just bear with me for a minute because I'm actually going to Google this to make sure I am correct. But Louis van Gaal at one time was a phenomenal manager. He had managed some of the biggest clubs in world football, including Barcelona. However, I would argue, and I'm just looking at his career record now, that if you look at his career, he's been largely... It's a mix, to be honest. He was successful with Ajax. He was successful with Barcelona. In two spells, um, I'm just looking up his Bayern Munich spell now. But I would argue that he was an outdated manager with an outdated style of play. And Manchester United saw a name because they tried to go the other way with David Moyes and they saw a name and it wasn't good enough. The problem with David Moyes, I've probably got a bit sidetracked on this. I'm going to bounce around a bit. I do apologise. The problem with David Moyes, as I said, he hadn't been there. He hadn't done it. And Manchester United were at the stage as a club where it didn't need building like he did at Preston or like he did at West Ham. We were top of the tree. Granted, the team that Ferguson left behind wasn't top of the tree. It was fading fast. But Manchester United, the football club, was top of the tree. And David Moyes, I'm sure he's a lovely fella, but he just was not going to be top of the tree material. It was doomed to fail, but anybody really, unless... In my opinion, I think the only person that could have succeeded, Alex Ferguson, I'm not sure where he was at the time. My choice would have been Carlo Ancelotti. I think he had the prestige and the clout to replace Ferguson. And I'm surprised Manchester United have never made an effort, or I've never heard of Manchester United making an attempt to sign him. I've heard about them trying to get Jurgen Klopp and Jurgen Klopp turning them down, and the same with Pep Guardiola. But for me personally, I would have gone for Carlo Ancelotti. Obviously, being an AC Milan fan as well as a Manchester United supporter, I know all about him from his Milan days. So, you know, that would have been my ideal. But we didn't do that. We then went to Louis van Gaal. And I'm just reading up on his Bayern Munich uh, spell in... 2009 to 2011, which I believe was his last club job before going back to manage Holland or the Netherlands again and again. Um, he did, to be fair, he did win some stuff. He lost in the Champions League final. But... Um, I'm just... Sorry, I'm just reading, so bear with me. He did win the championship with them in 2010 and he won a Super Cup with them. But then he was out again and he was in international manager. And that's where he stayed from 2011-12 till 2014 when he became the Manchester United manager. And yeah, he replaced him in David May in May 2014. David May? Sorry, David Moyes. David May, someone else. And, oh, we've got some look in here, thank you, Wikipedia, for some of his signings that I was talking about earlier. So Van Hole spent a lot of money 
29 million on Ander Herrera, 30 million on Luke Shaw, 20 million on Marcus Rojo, uh, Angel Di Maria for 59.7, Daily Blind for 14, Radamel Falcao on loan for a reported £6 million loan fee. Ridiculous. The guy spent a lot of money and he got us an FA Cup, and I think that was it. Um, and he was very quickly replaced by another Edward Wood signing, which would then be one Jose Mourinho, or Jose Marino, or Jose Mourinho as we call him. And, you know, Mourinho is one of those managers who buys success. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He speaks a lot in the media when he takes over a job. If you look at him, he's all happy and smiley and I'm going to work with youth and I'm going to develop and build a side. If you look at his time at Chelsea, with the exception of Porto maybe, everywhere he's gone, he's basically bought success, which is the road that Manchester United didn't want to go down with future managers, which I'll get into in a minute. So these are all, like I said, they're Edward World appointments. And then it all went horribly wrong under Jose Mourinho. He lost his rag, he threw his toys out of the pram, he didn't get what he wanted, the atmosphere became toxic, and in came Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, another Edward Wood signing. Now, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a Manchester United legend, and I understand why they brought him in to try and sweeten the deal and try and improve the atmosphere around the club because it was toxic. Players, coaching staff... Backroom staff, fans, punditry, pundits, everybody was toxic about Mourinho at the end and about Manchester United, and it was no good. Mourinho did have success for, with with us. He did bring us trophies. If I remember rightly, it was a League Cup and a, a UEFA Cup, I believe. Um, it's quite hard to keep up as a Manchester United fan when we've done nothing for several years. But Oli came in, and I believe Oli did well. He cleared out a squad of players that was a hodgepodge of Van Hull signings and a couple of Mourinho signings and a couple of David Moyes signings. And he set about clearing the deck and he focused on what Manchester United was about under Alex Ferguson in terms of transfers, which was signing young or quality English talent and supplementing it with foreign talent. So you saw Wan-Bissaka come in for a massively overpriced £50 million. But again, as we've talked about on the podcast, that is all part and parcel of the premium that countries put on their own players. You you see it everywhere, but it's really bad in the Premier League, I will admit. And we've got Harry Maguire in. Ferguson did it. Rio Ferdinand, Michael Carrick. It's always been the Manchester United way. If you can get them English and you look at Paul Ince, from West Ham, going back a few years. Steve Bruce, Gary Pallister came in from Middlesbrough. Even Roy Keane, who I know he's not English, but he was British, so, you know, kind of similar. If you could get the best of British, I suppose, would be the right thing, the right wording, then that's what Manchester United was about, was get the best of British, bring through our own talent, and supplement it with outstanding foreign talent if you could, like Eric Cantona, for example, or Andre Kanchelskis at the time, who maybe didn't leave under the best of terms at Manchester United, but he was still a fantastic player for Manchester United for a few years. So I'm going massively off track here, and I do apologise. 
but yeah, so Ollie came in and re reinstated the the ideas around Manchester United as a football club. The problem was Ollie didn't have the managerial nous as it turned out. There were times when it looked like he could be a really good manager, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, it fell away. He made very smart decision, in my opinion. I've said this before in bringing in bringing back Mike Phelan, who was a former coach and assistant manager under Alex Ferguson. So he had someone who knew the club. I think the mistake that he then made was he didn't accentuate that with a coaching team that backed up in terms of experience we had Michael Carrick who finished retiring went straight onto the coaching pitch now this is a big issue for me and this is where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer went wrong because under Alex Ferguson and I know I didn't want to talk too much about Ferguson but there was a career path to coaching at Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson you retired you took your badges you became an under 18s coach you became a under 23s coach you became an under 18s manager an under 23s manager the prime examples of these would be Nicky Butt and Brian McClare, who both retired either with Manchester United or away from Manchester United, came back to Manchester United, started off in the youth setup, and eventually moved on through different job titles until they both became head of youth recruitment uh, or head of youth development. And I think Nicky Butt went on to become a technical director at one point as well before leaving the club, which I believe he did at the end of the Mourinho era, maybe start of Ollie's era. I'd have to have a look. But there was a career path there. And a lot of other coaches have done it at Manchester United. Mike Phelan being the opposite one, he retired, I believe he retired at Manchester United, I can't remember. And then. He became a coach and came up through the ranks and ended up being Fergie's assistant manager a couple of times. So there is that career path. But under Ollie, they didn't do that. It was just like Michael Carrick, bang, you're on the pitch. They did it with Ryan Giggs as well before Ryan Giggs left. It was just like, Ryan Giggs, okay, you're not going to go and do you like in the youth. You're going to go straight into coaching the first team alongside Louis van Gaal. Bang, then you're, I think he had a spell as assistant manager under Louis van Gaal as well. And then bang, he took over temporarily from Louis van Gaal while they were appointing Jose Mourinho. So, there was no experience in the coaching staff beyond basically Mike Phelan. We did bring in a few other people. Eric Ramsey came in, I believe, from Tottenham. We got Kieran McKenna. I can't remember where he came from off the top of my head. So, but they, the, if you go and look back, and I know this, I've said this on the podcast before, but if you go back and play old versions of... Uh, football manager for example one it's a very good game because it's so in depth and if you go back to like under Ferguson era Alex Ferguson had a huge coaching staff with him it was absolutely enormous and then under Ollie it just got smaller and smaller and smaller until essentially it was Ollie Mike Kieran and Michael all taking the coaching roles with obviously like fitness coaches and goalkeeping coaches whereas Ferguson would have had about 11 coaching staff in total uh, from assistant manager down to like fitness coaches and goalkeeping coaches and defensive coaches so the players in my view had been trained over the years less and less and less on the football pitch as in-depth as, as they could have been so Ollie left because 
he, I think he just lost the the dressing room. To be honest, I don't think anybody really. They love Ollie. He's a club legend. He's a very nice man. But at the end of the day, I think they realised that they weren't going to win anything under Ollie, and it, its time had happened. And then we had the announcement that Edward would would be leaving. And then we got the announcement that he wouldn't be leaving because he would be staying to oversee the appointment of the next manager. And what did we get? We got Ralph Ranić, a man who is lauded over Europe for building clubs. Something Manchester United didn't need. We just needed restructuring. So the restructuring started beforehand, but I will get into that in a minute. And then we brought in a guy who was good at building a club with the hopes that he would help us restructuring the club. So what does Edward Rod do? He does not make him director of football. He does not make him a technical director. He does not give him a seat on the board. What does he do? He makes him the club manager with the option of a consultancy role. And then Edward Rod promptly resigns. And as we have seen, as everybody has seen, Manchester United have not improved under Ralph Ranić at all. Ralph Ranić came in with a very specific style of football, very quickly realised that the players that he's got weren't the type or fit enough to play his style of gegenpressing football that Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp and all these sorts of other uh, managers, Marcelo Bielsa, I believe as well, were supposed to have modelled or evolved his style of football from. So Manchester United have not got anywhere under Edward Rod. And one of the good things, although not from a commercial point of view, I've got to, I've said this already, but I'm going to have to state it again. I think letting him leave was a big mistake because if they'd made him like a commercial operations officer or given him some other fancy title and just let him do what he was good at, I think he could have stayed at Old Trafford. I think he could have done. He could have made Manchester United a lot more money. Even, to be fair to him, he's made them a lot already. So, Edward Ward was just as big a problem, in my opinion, than the Glazers. Now, things have changed. A change in structure was coming anyway. We knew that because Richard Arnold, who, who is another businessman, with my understanding, has got very little to know experience outside of his time at Manchester United with a football club. I may be completely wrong, but none of the research I've done has substantiated that he has experience with football clubs. Maybe I've missed something, I don't know. But what I will give him credit for is when it was announced that Woodward was leaving, they changed the structure behind the club. And two things that came in was a football director, apparently not a director of football, but a football director in John Murtaugh, who was already our head of, I want to say youth recruitment, but it wasn't head of youth recruitment, was it? Excuse me, it was head of transfers or something along those lines. It, it was to do with transfers. He was, he was there to basically identify, work with the scouting team and buy players and negotiate for the players. So he was our head of transfer development or head of transfer acquisitions or whatever these fancy roles, their names they're coming up with nowadays. And they also appointed Darren Fletcher. Now, this is the one where I take the same issue that I did with Michael Carrick. Because Darren Fletcher retired 
from football. I believe he was at Stoke when he retired. And he did his coaching badges, I believe. And then he became a technical director of Manchester United. That doesn't sit right with me because what are his qualifications to become a technical director of Manchester United? I would argue that Nicky Butt had earned his because he'd been a player at the club. He'd been a youth coach at the club. I think he trained with... Uh, trained the senior team at some point as well and he went all the way up through various sections of the club learning different parts of the club until he was in a position to work alongside the head of youth recruitment who a job that he'd also done and, and youth development and work alongside them to smooth over the coaching of both sets of the teams like the youth the academy Technical directors are involved in making sure coaches are getting their coaching qualifications upgraded, doing coaching courses, who's scheduled to coach where and do what. They work alongside a director of football and head of youth development so that they can basically coordinate everything. So that you basically, just to use an example, say there's a kid in the under 23s who's due to go up and start training with the first team. A technical director will work with the first team manager and the head of youth development to move the training schedules over and make sure they know when he's available and for who. So Nicky Butt had earned that right. Brian McClare had earned that right. When I heard that Manchester United were going to appoint a technical director and a director of football, I mentioned Brian McClare as the, na as the name that they should go for. Because not only had he done all these roles at Manchester United before he left, although my understanding is he left under less than... Uh, he wasn't impressed with the way the Glaze he left, basically. Um, but he also took up a role, as I believe, as a technical director for Scotland at one point. I don't know if he's still in it or not. But he was the guy I thought, he knows the club, he knows the ethos, he's been at the club, he knows how the club works from the inside out, so he could come back and do the job. So my argument with Darren Fletcher is, he shouldn't really be in the job. Manchester United are one of the best clubs in the world, without a doubt. My argument, I think they're in the top four clubs in the world. For me, the top four clubs in the world, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United and AC Milan. That's the way it's always been with me. I don't see that changing just because people's situations change. Those will be the big ones for me. So, Darren Fletcher shouldn't be in the job. Manchester United deserve the best. You can't, everyone can't have the best in class, I understand that. But there must have been somebody better out there that would be able to fulfill the role better than Darren Fletcher. I'm not knocking Darren Fletcher, I'm sure he's a fantastic man, I'm sure his heart's in the right place, I'm sure he's doing a very professional job. But in terms of experience, Manchester United deserve the best and should have the best. It's what's known as best in class. Manchester City have it at the moment. If you look at Manchester City, they were very shrewd in what they did. Spent a lot of money, but the first thing they did when they saw that two, two of the top people that had just left Barcelona were available, they went and got them. And then when Pep Guardiola came, became available, they went and got him too. Very shrewd business. What Manchester United have not been doing. So for me, I hope that I'm, I'm behind Darren Fletcher and John Murta and what they're doing. And I'm behind Richard Arnold as well, who I will give credit to because that's who I'm supposed to be talking about right now is that the first thing he did when he came in and Edward Wood finally left 
was he said to Darren Fletcher and to John Murta, go and get me a shortlist of the best coaches that you think are right for this job. And then they narrowed it down to the final two. The final two believed to be Eric Ten Hag and Mauricio Pochettino. And we got Eric Ten Hag, who I'll talk about in a minute. So the chairman, CEO, COO, whatever the role is that they go by nowadays, that was the second biggest problem. Now, we've talked about managerial appointments. Again, big problem, but trickle-down effect. As I said, it comes from the board, and it goes to the CEO, chairman, and then the manager's the issue. In between, that's often missed out, is there's been a massive problem with player recruitment at Manchester United since Ferguson left. Now, the weird thing is, Manchester United, up until recently, had the same chief scout from his time at Alex Ferguson uh, as Jim Lawler, who has now left the club after years upon years of service. I can't even tell you how long he's been there. But he's finally left, and it's about time, because at the end of the day, everybody's really good at their job, and you don't want to lose someone if they're very good at their job. But at the end, there, there reaches a point where... As I said, just like Old Trafford, things have their sell-by date. And unfortunately, our recruitment has been so poor. And I'm going to go back quickly just to make a really ridiculous point, but this just kind of sums it up for me. I'm going back to football manager for a minute. If you take over Manchester United at the moment on football manager, right, you have got about 30 scouts. And if you look at the quality of the scouting, it's nowhere near good enough. It is absolutely humongous because... If you look back, there's scouts from different generations, uh, from different eras of managers. So you've got some scouts that David Moyes brought in, some that Mourinho brought in, some that Van Hull brought in. And it's just accumulated all these scouts, but they don't seem to be doing very much because if you look at some of the players over the years, and I've named a few already, but Marcus Rojo, nowhere near good enough for Manchester United. Fred... Love him, he's a trier, but he's not Manchester United quality. He never is and he's never going to be. Unfortunately, I love Fred. I think he's probably Manchester United's most improved player over the last 12 months. But he's still not going to be good enough for Manchester United. Manchester United are used to having players like Roy Keane and Paul Scholes as the, the two big central midfielders of, of my generation anyway. And Paul Ince, who I think is massively underrated and maybe not given as much credit as he should have done for his contribution to Manchester United. And over the years, the quality of player has just gone down. Even under Ferguson, I mean, you look at the Clebersons and the Jemba Jembers and the Andersons under Ferguson. And then we've had, even under Mourinho, we've got a really old Matic come in. We bought Paul Pogba back from... Juve and I'll get into players in a little bit. We're going to go through the playing stuff in a, in a minute. So we've the recruitment's been nowhere near good enough. I mean, if you just look at Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw's not a scratch on Dennis Irwin, and everyone on the who's listened to this podcast knows how much I love Dennis Irwin. 
it's not a scratch and he's not consistent. He has is issues with his attitude and his fitness. I'm going to get into those in a minute. Sorry, I'm going off. But Alex Tellez, technically good player, not a scratch. The the quality is just nowhere near as poor. I mean, for years under the under Ferguson, under Van Hull, I think briefly under Mourinho, maybe not. Antonio Valencia, one of our best wingers for a few years, is the closest I've seen to Andre Kanchelskis. We had to move him to right back to fill the hole left by Gary Neville. And we had Raphael and we had loads of others. We just never recruited a decent right back, arguably, until Wan-Bissaka come along. And then what's happened to Wan-Bissaka is anyone's guess, to be honest. Lack of coaching. That's your proper, lack of proper coaching, sorry. You know, it's heartbreaking to sit and watch a team once brimming with so much quality that players like Nicky Butt, and you can argue with me, but Nicky Butt was a quality player, that players like Nicky Butt couldn't get a regular game. We were rotating between Andy Cole, Dwight York, Teddy Sheridan and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at one point. And what are we, what are we rotating against now? We've been rotating with Ronaldo and Cavani if he's fit. And this is the other problem with a lot of our sign-ins is they have by and large been short-term stop gaps or they've not been good enough. Cavani, short-term stop gap, signed at 34, now 35, can't keep himself fit, basically not much use anymore. Ronaldo is an icon of the game. There is no doubt about his talent, his work rate, etc., etc. You can go on about him. He's 37 years old. That's not a long-term sign-in. Manchester United, in my opinion, should be making sign-ins like Lataro Martinez, who's just coming in to the peak of his game. Now, the recruitment's not been all bad. We've signed players like Lukaku, who had a good first season before he had attitude issues, and it went down the pan. Bruno Fernandes, our, one of our best signings in years. But if you look at the, all the, the signings around them, Victor Lindelof, for example, nowhere near up to scratch. Um, Varane, who's come in this year and has not stayed fit and has not done well. Those are just two off the top of my head. Matic came in too old, too late. It's The recruitment has been nowhere near good enough. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to the people that have lost their jobs because... I don't, nobody wants to see anyone lose their job. But we lost uh, Jim Lawler as chief scout. We've lost another scout who I'd never heard of. He was apparently our head of overseas recruitment or something. Um, he's now gone as well. So Richard Arnold, so far, seems to be doing a very good job. He's working with Darren Fletcher and John Murta and seeing the issues back behind the scenes and trying to fix them. We've got an overbloated scouting staff that doesn't produce enough quality signings. We need to improve that, so we're changing it. So, I'm gonna get into Eric Ten Hag in a bit. But first of all, I'm gonna go through the Manchester United playing staff. I'm gonna give my opinion on each player and I'm going to run it all down and say who should stay and who should go, basically. So this should probably be the interesting bit for any other Manchester United listen, listeners, Manchester United fans, I suppose, 
who are listeners. Um, right, so let's just start. Cristiano Ronaldo. Right, goal scorer, extraordinaire, legend of the game. People will say that he's past his prime, still one of the top scorers in the Premier League. I think he's like third in the list or something of this season's goal. I think he's got about 18, 19 Premier League goals this season. So I would ideally like to see him leave Manchester United at the end of the season. Not because he hasn't performed, not because he hasn't done exactly what he was brought in to do, which was sell shirts and score goals, because that's exactly what he's done. But because of his age, and I don't think he'd take a reduced role, I want to see a dynamics change in the style of football that we play. And I don't think a higher energy game is going to suit Ronaldo because of his age. Don't get me wrong, he's still in fantastic shape. He's still got good energy. But if you look at some of the other teams that are using high presses and a lot of fast, quick counter-attacking football, I just don't think he can get up and down the pitch as fast as he'd like, no matter how hard he tries. Cavani, he needs to leave. He's There is rumours that he would... Be, he wasn't happy with the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo and he had he known Ronaldo was going to sign, then he wouldn't have signed his contract extension. However, that's irrelevant because he's barely kept himself fit and as a result, he's not really been playing anyway. So... He needs to leave. Anthony Martial seems to have lost any remote interest he had in football a long, long time ago. It's been no secret that he's massively underperformed for years. This is a player that I believe there's a clause in the transfer deal when we signed him from Monaco that we'd have to pay £10 million to Monaco if he won the Balloon d'Or. I think we can all agree that is not going to happen. Mason Greenwood, nobody knows what that situation is. Accusations were made. You, if you don't know, just go Google. We don't know what the situation with that is ever going to be, so that can go. That one will just have to remain. Those are the prime strikers. Let, let's look at sort of the more forwards. Uh, Jaden Sancho has only just arrived. He's shown glimpses of what he can do. I think under a settled, structured side, I think he will prove to be an asset. So I'm not going to knock Jaden Sancho after one season under several managers and a very inconsistent tactical system. Marcus Rashford. What has happened to Marcus Rashford? He's become Deli Alley, and that, that's worrying. I do believe Marcus Rashford's career is salvageable at Manchester United I don't think he's going to need to leave I think under a new manager under Eric Ten Hag who we'll talk about in a little bit I think he will be fine I, th I think he will re-emerge as the player he was people argue whether his best position is his is up front or whether it's coming in off the left or coming in off the right I don't think he's a very effective on the right I don't think he's that effective as a striker He's not bad, but I don't think he's as effective as he is coming off the left. What he does need to do is stop trying to copy everything that Cristiano Ronaldo does and focus on what made him good, which was direct, quick running with pace and...
beat. He's actually quite a good finisher, to be fair. Anthony Alanga has broken through, and he's proved himself to be worthy of being a squad player for Manchester United, I believe. He has chipped in with a few goals, a couple of assists. I think there's definitely potential there. There are other youngsters in and around the Manchester United first team. I'm not going to go into those. Uh, they will have their time when it it comes. Scott McTominay, me and Dan go back and forth over Scott McTominay. Dan does not rate Scott McTominay. I do rate Scott McTominay. I am, however, concerned for Scott McTominay because I don't think he's got the legs to get around the pitch that he might have to under Ten Hag. So he might just end up being a squad player, which, to be honest, he probably is going to be a squad player. That is probably where his quality is. Don't get me wrong, he has fantastic games. See Leeds at the beginning of this season. Or he can get himself into a lot of trouble. But I think he should stay. But I don't see him being number one choice after a couple of years under Ten Hag. James Garner is a player out on loan at the moment who's been at Nottingham Forest on loan for a couple of years. He's playing fantastically well. I would like to see him return to Manchester United and be given a shot in the Manchester United team. I think he's a very good passer of the ball and I think he might suit Ten Hag's style of play that we've seen at Ajax. Nemanja Matic is too old. He's announced he's leaving anyway. I don't know quite how that's going to work because he's still under contract, but he needs to go. Donny van der Beek, never given a chance at Manchester United. I don't think he's Manchester United material anyway. He's been to he's gone to Everton. Some would argue he's done okay. Um, I certainly haven't seen many headlines with his name in. I think he should go. Facundo Palestri, who is out on loan, has barely spent any time at Manchester United. I don't know how he's doing over in Spain. Can be sold as far as I'm concerned. Bruno Fernandes. The problem with Bruno, I don't know if it's because he's no longer the man. Because if you looked at him when he came into Man United, he was running his nuts off, trying to fix everything just so that he could be the guy. And then when Ronaldo seems to have come in, don't get me wrong, he was on the wane last season as well because things were so bad. But I think he will be rejuvenated because he's got the energy, he's got the technical ability. So... He should stay, without a doubt. Fred, love Fred. He's a trier. He works ever so hard. He lacks the quality to be a Manchester United player. He's not a top six Premier League player. I'm afraid he's not. So, Fred, thank you, but you can go. Ahmad Diallo is a young player that we signed from Atalanta, I believe, in Italy. and We paid about £35 million for him. He's been... Out on loan, I believe he's on loan at Rangers at the moment. He's not developed, I don't think, how they would hope. But you never know. Andreas Pereira, a very technically gifted player. But he's been out on loan quite a lot. I can't remember how many games he's actually played for Manchester United because I think he spent more time on loan than he has actually at Old Trafford. He can be sold. He's not going to be any loss. He might get a reprieve because of his technical ability under Ten Hag, but who knows. Jesse Lingard, I believe he's leaving. Thank you very much for your service, Jesse Lingard. It hasn't been great the last few years, but there was 
quite a few years where you were scoring semi-final goals and I think cup final goals as well. One matter who's suddenly been given a rerun back in the team after being spending several years on the sidelines. An experienced pro, but he's about 34 now. I think his contract's up. Thank you for your service, matter, but bye-bye. Paul Pogba, probably the most divisive player at Manchester United in recent history, is out of contract. According to rumours, he has already announced to the squad that he is leaving Manchester United and that he has left the Manchester United WhatsApp group because everything's got a WhatsApp group these days. Paul Pogba, I've got no problems. He's worked his contract down. He's not produced what I expected him to produce. I don't think he's as good as people think he is. I think he gets carried for France. He had Blaise Matuidi and N'Golo Kante and a couple of others next to him for France, which allowed him to wander around and do whatever he felt like doing. And at Juventus, his statistics aren't much different to those that, that were at Manchester United from what I've read. And he had, again, he had Blaise Matuidi with him. He had Andrea Pirlo with him. He had a lot of people with him that were doing his work. So wherever Paul Pogba ends up, good luck. Off you go. Uh, Axel Twanzebe has been out on loan. Aston Villa... Napoli, not done very well. Had a good season for Aston Villa in the Championship. I would like to see him as a squad player at Manchester United and actually play. I don't think there's much difference between him and Lindelof. So I would rather have a youth product uh, in the squad than just Lindelof, basically. Brandon Williams did very well for Manchester United. Uh, they then sent him out on loan, one of Solskjaer's poorer decisions. To Norwich, of all people, I understand they wanted him to have Premier League football, but I mean, come on, at least give the lad a chance. That's just poor. I mean, that's one of the other things that I find a real concern about the recruitment and the development side of Manchester United at the moment is some of the loans that our players are getting. They're not the right loans. Brandon Williams to Norwich is not good. He's going to get spanked every week. He's playing for Norwich. Axel Twanzebe has gone out on loan twice, played for Neva. Now, you can argue some of that is because of the player and the, the more he doesn't play, the more you would say that it is the player. But the loans that the players are getting, they're just not good enough. They really aren't. So I'd like to see Brandon Williams back as backup to Luke Shaw. Our other left back, uh, Luke Shaw, who very hit and miss depending on his attitude and his form and his fitness. he's He lacks the professionalism. I think if there's one thing you could take from Cristiano Ronaldo, I think it would be how to look after yourself, how to train. Because everybody says that Ronaldo should be Manchester United captain. I completely disagree. Ronaldo is a fantastic professional footballer. He's a fantastic professional athlete. But Ronaldo is only interested in Ronaldo's performance. He's only interested in scoring goals and being the man. He's... I've heard like on the training ground he tries to talk to the, the kids and he's actually complained in, in interviews that the kids don't want to listen to the senior players. But I just I think his ego is too big to be a captain. So I wouldn't have Ronaldo as my captain. But Luke Shaw, I think I think Luke Shaw's days are coming to an end. I think if Man United's recruitment improves and they could find a, a better player, then I think Luke Shaw's days could actually be numbered. I'd 
I want as many English or British players at Manchester United as possible to carry on the tradition of the club, but they've got to earn the right to be there. And bar one good year last year, I think Luke Shaw's in danger of leaving. Alex Tellez is the other left back. I'm. He's technically very, very good. I'm not sure his application's there, but given, again, the style of play that Ten Hag's going to be bringing in, then it's possible that he could remain. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, massively overpaid for. We've got to start with that, but I do believe he's a good talent. Me and Dan have spoken on the podcast a lot about Aaron Wan-Bissaka, and we both rate him as a defensive fullback. We, we've rated him quite highly over the years, but he's not... Comp- a touch on Trent Alexander-Arnold going forwards. And for me, the best English right-back that's around is Rhys James, who's arguably the combination, I think, of Trent and Wan-Bissaka. If you took Wan-Bissaka's defensive skills and Trent's attacking skills, moulded them together, I think you get Rhys James. I would love to have Rhys James as a Manchester United player. Never going to happen, but you never know. Uh, Diego Dallo is the other right-back in the Manchester United first-team squad. He impressed at AC Milan the other year on loan. He hasn't broken in or set the world on fire, really. He's played more under Ranić, but he's not been standout. But there's so little tactical influence at Manchester United at the moment because from what I can see, Ranić basically came in, we're going to play 4-2-2-2-2, go Gegenpress. We can't do that, so we're going to go back to what Oli was doing. And that was completely, yeah, it was pointless. So we've just gone back to where we were, really. So Dallow's potentially technically very good, um, has had some good performances for Portugal and AC Milan, might survive. Um, We'll have to see what Ten Hag does. Centre-backs, Rafael Varane. I was so excited when Rafael Varane came in this season has been such a massive disappointment for me because last season we finished second people can argue about the state of the league but you can only beat what's in front of you and then we went out and we made essentially three world-class signings in Rafael Varane, Jadon Sancho and Ronaldo if if any manager at the beginning of the season was told right you'll be you're being given these three players he'd be laughing and you'd immediately expect your team to be doing much better Varane, I think, has probably been the biggest disappointment for me this season as a player. He's barely stayed fit. When he's played, he hasn't been fantastic. He started off okay, to be fair, under Rolly, but the injuries and then inconsistent performances, not only from himself, but from the team, it's no good. So I think he'll still be there, but I'm not sure he's going to be as good. Phil Jones, thank you for the memories. See you later. Uh, that's, I can't say any more about Phil Jones. He, he stayed at Manchester United way longer than he should have. Eric Bailly is a fantastic last-ditch defender, but the rest of his game is nowhere near a top 10 Premier League side, let alone anything else. So best of luck, Eric Bailly. See you later. Victor Lindelof has been with Manchester United a long time. Me and Dan have talked about this, I think, on the podcast. I actually believe that Victor Lindelof would make a very good defensive right-back because he's so good with the ball. I think he might survive under Eric Ten Hag because he is so good with the ball. My problem with Victor Lindelof is 
His positioning isn't fantastic. He gets caught out a lot, especially by runners going behind him. So he's not fantastic in the air either. So I would be happy to see Lindelof sold. Thank you very much for your years of service. Harry Maguire. Jeez. I mean, what do you do with Harry Maguire? It's oof. I mean, I don't even know what to say. His fall from grace has been so unbelievably spectacular, especially considering how good he was for, for England recently in the Euros. Was it a Euros or a World Cup? I really can't remember at this point. It's been such a convoluted time with COVID and everything being forced together, seasons starting, World Cups coming here, Euros coming here, there and everywhere. I really had trouble keeping up with where everything's been over the last couple of years. Harry Maguire needs to sort himself out, I think. And I'm going to touch on this in a second. I think he needs a lot of work. I don't think he's ever been as good as people have made out to be. Uh, made him out to be, sorry. I think he was never worth £80 million in a million years. And again, it was massively over-inflated price. But it is what it is, and he needs to improve. Quickly touch on the goalkeeping situation. Lee Grant, thanks for your service. I know you're there as an emergency backup goalkeeper. You're probably... Working with youngsters, thanks very much. You're 38 going on 39. Feel free to retire whenever you're ready. Thank you for being of help to Manchester United. Become a goalkeeping coach. Tom Heaton, about 36 as well. He's there as a backup, again, working with kids. If you're still fit and you can do the job in an emergency, we'll keep hold of you for another year. Thank you for your service. Now... Who should be Manchester United's number one going forwards? This is the massive question. Because you, for me, you've got two very good goalkeepers. You've got Dean Henderson and you've got David De Gea. Now, my argument is this. David De Gea is a very good shot stopper, but he does not command his area. He does not control his defence. People have attacked Manchester United's defence for a couple of years now. And it's fair. If, if players aren't producing, then fair enough. They deserve the constructive criticism they get. However, one of the goalkeeper's key jobs is to lead your defence in front of you. David De Gea doesn't do it. He's a fantastic shot stopper. His distribution's not bad. But he does not command an area. And as a top side, you need a top goalkeeper. Manchester United have had top goalkeepers and some horrendous ones down the years. But Peter Schmeichel, you look at him, you even listen to people who used to play with Manchester, uh, with Peter Schmeichel at Manchester United. They were like, I can't stand him. He doesn't shut up, but he was one of the best in the world and we knew exactly what we were doing. Edwin van der Sar was far more quiet, but you could guarantee that he had everybody where he needed them to be. And he was a world-class goalkeeper. And why we didn't get him... When he left Juventus, I have no idea why he spent so much time at Fulham while we had to go through a mass of crap goalkeepers. I honestly don't know. And then you've got Dean Henderson, who proved last season under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the year that we finished second, bar an injury towards the end of the season, that he can do a very good job. Like most English goalkeepers, he seems to be a little bit hot-headed, 
uh, see Jordan Pickford and Aaron Ramsdale for those. Is it Aaron Ramsdale Arsenal? I always get it wrong, but I think that's his name. They all seem to be quite motivated, quite pumped up, quite hyper. You know, very Joe Hart sort of screaming and shouting-ish. But he, one thing that Henderson does is he leads his defence very well. I mean, all you have to do for the evidence of that is look what happened to Sheffield United. He spent a year with them in the Championship. They came up. He spent a year with them in the Premier League. They stayed up. They didn't get him back. And Aaron Ramsdale went there. And they went back down. So, for me, I think David De Gea has had his time. Thank you very much for the service. If a decent offer comes in, maybe someone in Madrid, I don't know. Get rid of him. Say thanks very much. Don't forget he's on astronomical wages as well. He's on about 375 grand a, a week. So, thank you very much, David De Gea. See you later, dodgy Dave. For me personally, Dean Henderson should be the number one goalkeeper at Manchester United from next season but that is obviously down to Eric Ten Hag before I do talk about Ten Hag lastly I'm just going to mention a couple of players that I would like to see Manchester United sign because it's coming up to the end of the season transfer window is going to open my number one signing will be Declan Rice let's get an anchor in that midfield lock it up whether it happens or not Nobody knows. We don't even know how much Manchester United have got to spend. And to be fair, I think there will be a considerable amount of money available because, as I talked about earlier in the podcast, Manchester United have been massively profitable and every manager gets backed by the Glazers, whether fans like it or not. So Declan Rice would be the first one. Anchor that midfield, get some leadership in there. Job done. Second one, James Ward-Prowse. Get him in. Again, sort out that midfield. Central midfield, lock it down. James Ward-Prowse, another leader, just like Declan Rice. Also with the technical ability to with set pieces, goal. he brings goals from his free kicks, he brings assists from his corners. I think he's technically gifted enough to play under Ten Hag as well. Get him in. The big midfielder I would love to see signed, but I don't think we'll ever do it because we seem to be linked with fantastic players but never sign them. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, is Milinkovic-Savic at Lazio. I think he's amazing. I think he's probably the most complete midfielder I've seen in quite a while. I think if he was here in the Premier League, I think he'd be doing what Kevin De Bruyne is doing for Manchester City. I genuine, genuinely believe that. So I would like to see them come in. I would like to see Lotaro Martinez come in as well from Inter Milan. I'm not sure we'd get him. But I want to see a striker of the age of about 24, 25, 26. Someone who's really on the cusp of exploding. Because we seem to, over the last few years or so, gone down that route of, with the exception of Lukaku maybe, we've gone down that route of Ibrahimovic old, Cavani old, Ronaldo old, or someone like Greenwood who's too young and not ready no matter how good he was as a football player, we'll leave him being a person to one side. So I would like to see someone like that. I'm sure there's other strikers out there that I could probably mention, but off the top of my head, Lotaro Martinez is the one that really stands out for me. And at centre-back, I would absolutely love to see Fukayo Tomori 
uh, come back to England from AC Milan and sign for Manchester United. Those are the big, big players I would love to see sign for Manchester United. So I'm going to round off this podcast and thank you for sticking it out because this has actually gone a lot longer than I thought. Eric Ten Hag is on his way at the end of the season. We know this, it's announced, it's been signed. I am quietly optimistic about this, but my concern is the coaching team. Because as I said earlier in this podcast, there have been players at Manchester United that have not been properly coached for a long time. And when I say properly coached, I don't mean the... They aren't on the training field every day, not running drills, not doing things, not doing this or that. I mean, there have been so many complaints about Ralph Ranić's methods being so outdated on the training pitch. So they are training, but I don't think they're being trained properly. I don't think Oli had the... I think Oli was very limited in what he could do. The, the strikers raved about his training sessions, but I think that's one part of training. So I think... There needs to be a massive influx of coaches at Manchester United, of high quality coaches as well. Not just anybody, because I've had this argument with on the podcast with Pete and with Dan, where people take the same people with them when they go from job to job because they know them, they work with them, they trust them. But there's no evolution of playing style as a result. There's no evolution of coaching methods. So I think players need to come in and more importantly Eric Ten Hag needs to bring in his coaches his guys and the best guys he can get not necessarily ones he's worked with before I mean there's talk about them bringing in Steve McLaren it's not something I'm in favour of Steve McLaren was obviously a Manchester United assistant manager under Alex Ferguson during highly successful spells but he's gone on to be a manager in his own right and one of not much success I would say um, it still baffles me that he was England manager. Or did I dream that in a really bad dream? I think he was England manager, wasn't he? Steve McLaren, the Wally with the Broly. Yeah, that sounds about right. So my hope is that Eric Ten Hag comes in, he's allowed to bring in the staff that he wants and he brings in top quality staff. If that means that some people come back to Manchester United, like Paul McGuinness, for example, who was a fantastic coach from Manchester United who was released at some point and I don't understand why he was so good but if we can get top quality British coaches in and a top quality foreign coaches in at the same time then that's fantastic but what I want is top quality coaches on that training field drilling players day in day out giving proper hardcore training sessions and the good thing for Eric Ten Hag is fingers crossed he will have them all in place by the time pre-season starts I've read that he's moved the pre-season to two weeks earlier so that he can start training with them with the players much earlier and that's a fantastic start because that to me sounds like right I'm getting in I know what I've got to do I know what's wrong here we're going to start two weeks early we're going to fix this so we get off on the right foot that's music to my ears but what I want more than anything apart from that backroom staff to come in and really train players, really hone players, is for Ten Hag to be the man at Manchester United. I want Murta and Fletcher to work for Ten Hag. I don't want Ten Hag answering to them. I want it the other way around. I want them to make his job easier 
so that he can then get what he wants and Manchester United can start being successful again. Because I think Manchester United is a club that deserves to be, maybe not deserves to be successful. Maybe that, yeah, maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm trading off past glories there. Maybe I'm being a bit of an entitled fan. But I do believe that the Manchester United as a club is a highly professional club. It's the family atmosphere that was under Ferguson has been brought back under Solskjaer. You know, it's a good club for good people and I think those people deserve success. Maybe not some of the players that we've got deserve success because I don't think they've worked hard enough for it. I think that's evident as to where we stand in the league. But I think the club itself deserves success and I think it should be back at the top where it belongs. And I just hope Eric Ten Hag is given the time to do what he needs to do and get us back up there, really. I think he could do it. I think if the board back him, the players buy into his ideas, this, for me, is a very refreshing appointment because it's not someone like Mourinho who had a bad reputation, although he had a successful reputation, or Louis van Gaal, who'd been out of club football for so long, only to come back into Manchester United and try and... I was going to say inflict there because it was really painful to watch, but try and infuse an outdated style of of play that Pep Guardiola at Barcelona at the time was doing far better than he could. He stifled players. Angel Di Maria, such a fantastic player, £60 million. And then says, no, you can't play as a winger. It's bonkers. But yeah. So I hope Van Hull... Not Van Hull? Oh, Jesus, sorry. I hope Ten Hag is given the support from the board and from the players. I know the fans will. I think the fans, Manchester United fans, genuinely get behind the manager at the beginning until it goes wrong. So I hope that he gets all that support. The players buy into it. I hope he brings in quality staff and we get proper training back at Carrington and that Manchester United go back from strength to strength. This is refreshing because it's a new coach who's been around a bit. He's been at other top European clubs. He's worked at Bayern Munich at the uh, younger levels. He's gone on to be successful at Ajax. He's seen the breakup of a fantastic side and rebuilt a side. I've got really high hopes for this. So as a Manchester United fan, fingers firmly crossed. Thank you very much for downloading this and listening to me ramble on for so long about Manchester United. I know it can't always be an easy listen, especially when it's one person on a podcast. You know, everybody's got their preferences. Some like listening to a podcast with one people, some like listening with with a group. I actually love doing the podcast when we've got me, Dan and Pete because they're absolutely hilarious. So thank you for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with us, if you want us to answer any questions, if you want us to debate something on the show, then you can get in touch with us on Twitter at FBallFunders. I'm using the main account now because I don't actually have Twitter myself personally. Dan and Pete are on Twitter as individuals, but they also use our Twitter account as well. So it's at FootballFunders. And you can email us at FootballFundersPodcast or is it FootballFundersPod at Gmail 
www.thepodcastmerch.com. Once again, a shout out to our associates, the Proper Blokes Club, Walking and Talking for Men's Mental Health. It's four blokes that are having problems with their mental health, that feel they can't go and talk to their GP, and they just need to go and talk to someone. So a bunch of blokes get together, and they talk out whatever is bugging them or whatever's bringing them down and you go home feeling better i do it myself quite a lot so it definitely helps it does make you feel better sometimes you just forget your problems and have a laugh so it's genuinely a good experience so go to www.thepropablokesclub.co.uk and see if there's a walk near you or get in touch with them if there isn't and maybe they can help you set one up so that you don't suffer on your own and you've got an you can talk to another guy who knows exactly what you're going through. And let us talk mental health. The football team raising money for the mental health charity Mind. Dan's obviously involved in that one a bit more. But you can just type that in on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And you'll be able to find it. So thank you very much for tuning in, guys. And downloading the pod. We really appreciate it. And like I said, any questions, you can get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe we could bring one of you guys on the show and you could join us for an episode. Who knows? But anyway, until then, take care. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back again soon.